Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Hey, good morning, Southbridge family, and happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, I know that we have part of our church family tuning in from all over, <laughs> several folks personally that I've, I've been texting and know that you're out of town at the beach or just kind of staycations taking place at home, but uh, it's great to just celebrate the joys uh, that we have and the freedom, not just as a nation, but as followers of Jesus Christ, the freedom that we have under the grace of Jesus. It is a unique time in, uh, in our history. And even as Pastor Seth mentioned earlier, um, just some of the tensions that are taking place. Uh, and there's, as Pastor Scott mentioned last week, a heaviness on so many people and, and I would say a frustration. Uh, probably everybody in one way or another is frustrated, right? We have the COVID pandemic taking place and some people are saying things are moving too fast and some people are saying things are moving too slow. There is racial tension. Uh, my heart breaks for uh, the countless people just this last week that we've learned uh, were shot. The, the young small child in Chicago and, and the 19 year old in Seattle. And my gosh, there's just, there's so many heavy things taking place. Um, there's racial injustice. Uh, there's all sorts of things, and so there's a frustration, and we're all feeling it. We're all dealing with it in some way or another. And I believe that if we were sitting down face-to-face, because I've had some of these conversations, and you were to say, hey, Pastor Dave, I'm not frustrated at all. My life really hasn't been affected. I would probably look back at you and say, yes, your life has been affected. You may just not know it. And as we work into this series that Pastor Scott started last week on uh, shift, as we're shifting and we're thinking about how do we trust God in a new normal, um, whether or not you accept the fact that there's a new normal, there will be a new normal. Uh, Because even as you learn to interact with others, it will affect you and how you convey God's love and grace to them and how you interact with other people. So this morning, we want to dive into a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 5, and if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to grab it, open it up, and, and just follow along with me as we work through this passage. Uh, I love this passage of Scripture, and, and I kind of wrestled and prayed through several things about what I could share this morning, but I kept coming back to this story in Mark chapter 5 as Jesus encounters a man in quarantine. Uh, he is then uh, confronted by a restless group of protesters who challenge his leadership and eventually run him out of town. And I thought, wow, what a, what a perfect setting for what we're dealing with today uh, in, in our culture. So Mark chapter 5, as we dive into our series, Shift, Trusting God in a New Normal. Mark chapter 5, uh, and as we look at this passage, what, the thing I want to share with you is I want to share three primary points, the, the how the where, the why of Jesus' encounter. And as, as we look, I want to say that the best way that we can learn to trust God in a new normal is simply to see where and how and why He has interacted before and how we can trust His character. We can trust the faithfulness and consistency of God. And so in this text, the first thing I want us to see is where. Now, this is a familiar story. Probably most of you have heard this story about Jesus getting off the boat and and he's uh, confronted by this demon-possessed man, this man that's living in the cemetery, living outside of town. Uh, They've 
banished him out into the, the tombs, the cemetery, as it were. And this was a, uh, an outcast place. Uh, the Jews felt that it was unclean. The Gentiles thought it was haunted. And so uh, this guy's been quarantined. He's just been stuck off by himself. And so here comes Jesus across the Sea of Galilee to the northwest part. And he gets off the boat. And we pick up in chapter 5, verse 1. And it simply says this. They, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, it's important to know contextually where this story fits. Because right before this text, Jesus is in a boat crossing over the Sea of Galilee. He had just been on the other side. He'd just been over with his disciples and teaching them. He gets in a boat, and in the middle of the night, a, a storm comes up. And in the midst of the storm, with all the disciples being crazy and frantic and scared, where is Jesus? We find him asleep. <laughs> he is calm in the midst of the storm. And in chapter 4, verse 40, it says this, as Jesus is addressing his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Listen, this is the life and the story of Jesus. He steps into broken places. He steps into places that are frantic and chaotic. I mean, he steps out of the boat. Here comes this demoniac running down the hill through the, the cemetery, confronting Jesus. And Jesus, in the calm spirit with which he handles every storm, confronts this man. Jesus came and, and he stepped into all of the places in culture that seemed outcast, that seemed broken, that seemed chaotic. You see, the Pharisees and all the religious people of that time would have had kind of a saying to, to go, hey, I am glad that I'm a man. I'm glad that I'm not a woman. I'm glad that I'm not a child. I'm glad that I'm not diseased or crippled. And, and I'm certainly glad that I'm not a Gentile. And yet, where do we see Jesus in his ministry? Where, where does he step into all these areas? We see him stepping in the lives of children. We see him stepping in the lives of women. We see him stepping into the lives of the sick, the broken, the poor, and yes, the Gentiles. Because Jesus steps into broken places and he brings healing. And he does it with such a calm and assuring spirit. And that's exactly what he's doing right here in Mark chapter 5. You know, he, he's stepping into a difficult situation with a calm spirit to fix a difficult situation. But something can't be fixed unless we first admit that there's a problem. For a few months, I've been running my lawnmower and, and I thought, boy, this is supposed to be a self-propelled mower, but I felt like I was pushing it a lot. And I finally got to the place of saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the drive belt. And while I'm changing the drive belt, I might as well go ahead and change the blade because it, it looked pretty whittled down. It looked like kind of a table knife at that point. And I did that. And all of a sudden, this mower is running beautifully. I didn't realize how broken it was. And so I kind of pulled the Tom Sawyer approach. And I said, hey, Leslie, right, to my wife, I said, this mower is awesome and it runs great. You should try it. And so she tried it. And so now I have handed off mowing the lawn to my wife because she loves it. Well, not completely, um, but it was kind of a neat experience to just kind of realize I didn't realize how broken my mower was until I stepped in and, and did some repair. And I kind of went back to the owner's manual and I got it back to where it was originally designed to, to function. 
And that's what Jesus does. He steps into these broken places. And you may be thinking in the midst of all this craziness, well, you're really okay, and you're calm, and you're all right. Well, can I just tell you that the Bible says that we're all broken? Romans chapter 3, verse 23, as Paul is writing to the church in Rome, very familiar. He simply says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how big or small we think our sin is. The bottom line is that we are all sinners before a holy God. And that God loved us enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to step in with calm assurance into the storms and brokenness of my life and your life to bring healing, to bring grace, to bring forgiveness. And if I could just pause right here for a moment, maybe you've never come to know this God that loves you. Uh, we would love to help you come to know that Jesus Christ cares for you. He died for you and he wants a relationship with you. And right now in the midst of this message, you could grab your phone and, and simply text 919-893-0304. It's on the screen. Just text Jesus and, and someone would respond. And, and if you want to talk to somebody, we can set up a, a personal phone call right now. Someone is standing by just to talk with you and help you understand what it means to know Jesus Christ. But this morning, if you're sitting here listening, maybe you're a follower of Christ, and amidst all this craziness, can I just encourage you to step back and find the calm that God intends for your life? Things may be a little bit crazy, and you may be a little bit frantic, and as a follower of Christ, maybe you just need to, to find that calm that Christ offers us. And that, that for you, that may mean turning off the news. It, it may be getting off of social media. It may mean getting away from all the other influence that's feeding into the sin and the flesh of your life and opening the Word of God. A couple of weeks ago, we introduced a Bible reading plan. <laughs> and if you can go to our website right now. You can download that plan. We just went through Romans. We went through 1 John. Tomorrow on Monday, we're starting into 1 Peter. You know what? Get rid of all the other voices in your head. Get rid of the news and the social media. Open the Word of God and find that place where you can rest comfortably in the storm with Jesus. Be calm to step into a world that's broken as Jesus did. So we see where Jesus goes, but secondly, I want you to see how. How, how does Jesus deal with new normal? How does he deal with the crises? Well, beginning in verse three, this is what we see. He, speaking of this demon-possessed man, lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Listen, mankind has a problem. Mankind has a problem. And how Jesus deals with that problem is simply this. Jesus is the solution to the problems of mankind. Jesus is the solution to all the problems of mankind. All the chaos, all the things that we're experiencing in our culture right now are simply symptoms of a deeper root cause, and that root cause is sin. And we can try to deal with it in a lot of different ways, just like these people did. If you look at the text, you will see a progression that took place. Verse 3, he lived among the tombs, get this, and no one could bind him anymore. Some, some translations will say any longer not even with a chain. Do you see the progression? Not even with a chain. They didn't start with a chain. They probably started with string or rope. Then they went to leather bands or straps and, and then you know, eventually to a chain. There was a progression of, hey, how do we deal with the brokenness of this man? 
And that's what we're doing as a culture. How do we deal with the brokenness of our culture? And we're trying all sorts of things. And we're thinking, man, if only the right political party, well, if only we get this guy elected. Now listen, I want to be careful to say, yes, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are commanded to be good citizens of the nation. And we should be involved and we should be active and we shouldn't remove ourselves. And we shouldn't just cast our difficulties and our problems out into the outskirts of town, which is what we've done. In so many ways, God's people have left the brokenness of culture instead of staying in and digging in and having an effective witness for the cause of Christ. We, we leave. We, we go to places that are comfortable. And, and we leave the difficult situations because they are chaotic and they are difficult. But listen, no government, no political party, no legislation, no movement, no organization is ever going to solve the deep problems of mankind. It will only be done through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the solution to the problems of mankind. Let me ask you a question. What about you? Where does your hope lie? Because your hope is either lying and resting securely in the world's only hope, which is Jesus Christ, or it's lying to you from, from some other source, some other falsely placed hope and trust. So where does your hope lie? I love the website called Babylon B. Now, this is a satire site okay so these are make-believe stories they're made up but after the the rulings of the the supreme court this week they, they posted an article and i love it because it was headlined christian briefly considers placing hope in god after supreme court lets him down again <laughs> now again this is satire okay but I, I saw that and i thought you know how true is that and I'll confess, it's been true of me at different points in my life where I have a greater dependence on the things of this world than on my personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this article, it says, it's, again, this is not a real guy, it's make-believe, but it says, I'm crushed, Paulson told sources. I gave my everything to the Supreme Court. Can we be honest for just a moment? Even as followers of Christ, where's your hope? Your hope may be in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. I have strong followers of Jesus Christ that are dear friends on all sides of the spectrum. And you know what? Jesus didn't die for a political party. He died for the brokenness of mankind. And my hope can't rest in the Supreme Court or a political party. Now, again, we need to be active. We need to be in, involved. We need to be a voice conveying our convictions as we grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but let me not put Jesus Christ below any other system. Let me hold fast to the things that are true of Jesus. I love Alistair Begg, pastor, preacher. Um, I, I can't say it with his accent, but I, he said recently, when we look into the Bible, we discover the nature and cause of all of our troubles. Even better, he said, we discover the answer to the troubles we face. Because all the troubles of mankind are found in the Word of God, and all the solutions to those problems are found in the Word of God. So when we talk about how, when we talk about Jesus being the solution, there's two things we see in their text that are critical to understanding this. One, there's a power in the name of Jesus. There is great power in the name of Jesus. Now, verses 6 through 14 are, are all 
telling us how Jesus encountered this demoniac and how he interacted with the demons and he eventually cast the demons out into this, this herd of pigs. And, and the text tells us that the pigs ran down this steep hill into the lake and they all died. <laughs> that would have been absolutely awesome to sit there and watch. And I'm sure the disciples are going, what in the world's going on? And, and the, the pig herdsmen are just going, what just happened? You know, we're responsible for that. Jesus disrupted the craziness of what was going on. But we find the power of that forthcoming victory of this man being delivered in verses 6 and 7. And it simply says this, And when he, speaking of the demoniac man, saw Jesus from afar, that tells you that Mark was a southerner, right? He saw him from afar. He ran and he fell down before him. Verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? See, these demons recognized Jesus for who he was, Son of the Most High God. There is power in the name of Jesus. He was not overpowered by physical strength. He was not overpowered by legislation or by some movement of people. It was simply the name of Jesus Christ. With all power and all authority from the Most High God, he cast these demons out and he delivered this man. And this man found freedom. I love in, in verse 6 it says, And when he saw Jesus, when he saw him, that, that word literally is to behold him. That they saw him from afar and they immediately recognized him. They recognized his power. They recognized his authority and, and they, they, they acknowledged him. They beheld his glory. Folks, listen, nobody needs to see me or behold me. Nobody needs to see you or behold you. They need to see and behold Jesus. The power in Jesus' name. The great prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, once said, The Lord knows very well that you cannot change your own heart and you cannot cleanse your own nature. But he knows that he can do both. Man, what a great truth. I can't change the sin in my life. I can't change the, the brokenness of our culture, but I know that Jesus can. But when we talk about how, we also need to acknowledge that Jesus and the gospel will be rejected. Jesus in the gospel will be rejected. Picking up in verse 14, the herdsmen fled. I mean, their pigs just ran into the Sea of Galilee and they all drowned. These guys run off to town and they came to see. They brought all the people back and it says, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. Verse 15, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion past tense, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. The people of the town, even though this man was delivered, they were afraid. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Let's not leave them out of the story. Verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. What a beautiful picture of restoration, of healing of transformation that took place in this man's life. We don't know his name. But what an incredible picture of what had just taken place. The text says that he was sitting. He was clothed. He was in his right mind. What an incredible picture 
Why would this Jesus, who just did this incredible thing for this man, why would he be rejected? Well, Paul gives us a, a glimpse of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says this, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Listen, Jesus and the gospel will be rejected by people. And no matter how incredible God works in the hearts and lives of mankind, mankind is sinful and separated from God, and there will be people who reject him. But I want to drill this point home. Listen to me carefully. If we are going to be ridiculed, if we are going to be criticized or rejected, let it be because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of the cross. If Jesus is going to be rejected, let it be because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because you and I are being jerks in this culture, okay? I will say this, people will reject us, and they will reject Jesus, but let them not reject Jesus because of you and me. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, and the message in the gospel will be rejected. Let me move on to the next point and answer the question, why? Why? Well, why is simply this. It tells us in verse 18 and through 20 that the new normal is where Jesus commands us to go and tell. The new normal is where you and I are commanded to go and tell. Picking up in verse 18, as he, now speaking of Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, get this, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Look at that verse again, 1920. If you have a pen, circle these two words in your Bible, go and tell. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Verse 20, and he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's a, a 10 city region, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. I love that. Verse 18, as he was getting in the boat, Jesus was obliging the crowd. All the city people that came out and, and were running him off said, go away from us, leave us. You know what? Jesus obliged. He said, okay, you're rejecting me. I, I will not force myself on you, right? Salvation is a free gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. Jesus isn't going to force himself on you. He's not going to force himself on me. He will not force himself into a culture or a society or get this, even a church that rejects him. He will oblige. And if you're following our Bible reading plan, we just read it in the book of Romans. God will give them over to their sin. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was obliging the people and he was getting in the boat and leaving. And this man said, Jesus, please, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, I want you to go and tell. Because there are people up here in this region, this Decapolis, that need to know who I am. And you are the best one to tell them. Why? For all that I have done, says in verse 19, how I have had mercy on you. All that I've done for you. 
And that's exactly what he did. And he became well known throughout the Decapolis. And the text said that all the people marveled. In other words, they were in awe, not of this man, but of Jesus and what he had done for this man. What about your story? What about you? Are you going? Are you telling? What are you telling? Are you telling all the incredible things that God has done for you, all the things that he's doing in you? You see, right before this text, it's kind of interesting because earlier in Mark 4, before Jesus got in the boat and came over to this encounter, he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and he's teaching his disciples. And one of the things they had just taught them was the illustration of the lamp. He says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel or hides it under their bed, but they put it on a table for all to see so that it can cast light. That's exactly what Jesus is doing with this man. He said, I want you to go. I want you to be light to dark places. See, when Jesus pulls us from our life of sin and he restores us to right relationship, he gives us a command to go and be light in dark places. You think we're living in a dark time right now? Absolutely we are. Throughout Raleigh, throughout the United States of America, throughout the world, these are dark, dark times. And yet Jesus says, I've called you to be light in dark places. And I love Dr. Stephen Lawson. Recently he said this, he said, in these days of darkness, there has never been a greater time for the light of the gospel to shine. The darker this world becomes, the brighter our light will shine. Listen, if you and I want to shine brightly, we need to understand the world will get darker. The more we fall deeply in love with Jesus Christ, the more we realize this is a dark place and we are called to go calmly to those dark places with the only hope that we can possibly give and that is the person of Jesus Christ. When I think about this command to go and tell, Jesus is, is basically, this is an early version of the Great Commission. This is exactly what he tells his disciples at the end of Matthew and at the end of Mark. He says, go, go. You know, we've been in the shutdown and we're in the process of working on our relaunch. And it's great to have people on campus this morning for a, a watch party. And we're going to do that through the month of July as we move toward August and our reopening. That's our plan. And, and uh, listen, as we're, as we're doing that, I've talked to a lot of people who are missing the coming, right? We miss being together, and I do too. There, there's something great about gathering together. There's things you can't download and, and stuff that happens on campus. But listen, God's command was always go. Yeah, he tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. and uh, the, You know, we can dive into that at a later time. But his command as we come to know him personally is to go. Let me ask you a question. How are you going? How, how are you going? How are you telling Amidst all the stuff that's going on in our culture, how are you going? How are you stepping in the lives of lost people? I'm loving what I'm hearing coming from our small groups and from individuals as part of our church family who are gathering, who are equipping, who are pulling people in, who are sharing the hope of Jesus Christ through this, this isolation time of pandemic. And guys, listen, people are coming to know Jesus Christ. People's lives are getting transformed. People are getting reconciled to Jesus Christ. People are, are gaining a sense of hope and assurance even through this, even though we're not gathering on a campus. Because you know what? Jesus didn't die for a building. He died for people. And he tells you and I to go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell. 
as we look at that, I was reading some statistics this last week. There's an estimated 330 million people in America right now. And over the last, really, couple decades, but especially the last 10 years, uh, there's been a slide of eight, depending on what study you look at, anywhere from eight to 11% decline in the percentage of born again followers of Jesus Christ in the United States of America. In other words, people are being born and they're growing and our, our population is growing, but the percentage of believers is going down. Why? Because we're not doing our job. We're not doing the one thing that Jesus tells us to do, go and tell. Out of 330 million Americans, there's an estimated 188 million followers of Jesus Christ, roughly 43% or so. Let me ask you a question. How long would it take 188 million people to reach the rest of our nation? You see, we always want to think huge and we want to think big and, well, I want to go reach thousands of people. Hey, listen, what if you just reached one? What if 188 million passionate followers of Jesus reached one. What if half of that reached one? How, how quick could we reach this nation for Jesus Christ instead of isolating ourselves and pulling back from the darkness? What if we stepped into the darkness as followers of Jesus Christ and said, listen, there's hope and his name is Jesus. It's not a movement. It's, it's not a political party. It's a person and his name is Jesus. One at a time. That's how Jesus reached people. Jesus reached people one at a time. He equipped them and then he sent them. There's about 7.8 billion people in the world. Roughly 2.6 billion Christians. Some of the areas that are most growing in conversions to Christianity, people who are following the person of Jesus Christ are in some of the most persecuted areas of the world. Can I speak to the church in America right now? God's given us a wake-up call. The church from this time forward has always thrived in persecution. Part of why we are not thriving in America is because we're fat and sassy. We love the coming. We don't want to go. We love the comforts. We don't want to go. These people in town, something was uncomfortable. They cast him out, go live in the tombs. They stayed in the city where they could be comfortable. They didn't confront the darkness. Folks, listen, if we're going to overcome darkness with light, we as a church need to step into the darkness with the love and the grace and the hope of Jesus Christ. We need to encounter these people. That's part of our value at Southbridge. You can go to our website right now and you can see that we're all about encountering, equipping, and engaging. And part of that engaging, you've heard it. If you've been around Southbridge for any period of time, you've heard it before. This means that we own our impact and that the love of Jesus compels us to live engaged on mission together. Can I ask you one question? Do you own your impact? Do you own your impact? As a follower of Jesus Christ, do you own your impact? Are you reaching one? Are you reaching two? Boy, what could happen throughout the city of Raleigh if, if the people of Southbridge would own their impact and one-on-one -on -one begin to engage people for the cause of Jesus Christ? We're concerned about our program shut down and everything else. Listen, the church is never closed because you and I are the church. The people are the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he's called us to go and tell. I want to close with just a couple of questions. I want you to think about these, right? What changes do you need to make in your life to get to that place of calm, to take on the heart and mind of Christ. What changes do you need to make? 
Do you need to get rid of your social media? Do you need to get off news? Do you need to spend time in God's word? Do you need to find accountability partners in the, in, in the setting of a small group that are going to invest in you and challenge you and hold you accountable? Do you need to spend time with Christ in prayer early in the morning, diving into his word? Let me ask you this. Who around you needs to see the light of Jesus in you? Not just the people you're mad at. I mean, those people you're mad at, and, and it's easy to just sort of turn away from them and go, man, I can't even deal with that guy right now. Are you praying for him? Are you just praying for them right now? Lord Jesus, I can't change them, but you can. Lord, would you begin to work in, in Dave's heart and give me a moment to encounter them with calm assurance and convey to them the light and the hope of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to pray for them today? Maybe even... Just grab your phone and just text them and just say, hey, I'm just thinking about you. Start that dialogue. And lastly, how are you owning your impact? When we think of Jesus' commission, Jesus always tells people to go and tell. Go and tell. Are you going? Are you telling? How can we help equip you? As we draw our time to a close, I'm not sure what God is doing in your life, but, but we are here to help. We're here to encourage and to challenge you. And so right now, you could just grab your phone, and if you need to know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can simply text the word Jesus to the number on the screen, 919-893-0304. Maybe you have special needs or, or a prayer request, and you can just type pray and text it to that number. Or maybe you just need to talk to somebody or you want to share some things with us and maybe there's stuff going on in your life and you just need people to come alongside. If you would just let us know, we want to step in. We want to be an encouragement to you and help you engage and equip you so that you can then own your impact for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ alone. Give us the calmness of Jesus to step into a dark world God, teach us to own our impact, to have the, the courage, not in our own ability, but in the hope of Jesus Christ to go and tell. God, we love you. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, church family, as we close, would you read with me our benediction from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.